Therapy, Session 4 Dreams, Virginity and God In this week's podcast, we're going to do some delving into dreams and maybe some recurring nightmares. This is my fourth podcast. I only planned on doing four, but I think I might keep going. It seems that I've just started exploring this topic. I'd like to research things a little more, talk about a lot of other trauma or syndromes that I've come across in my life. Not so much in myself, maybe, but in people around me, like drug abuse, lying, anorexia, stage fright. But every time I talk to a therapist, it seems like they turn the tables around. It looks like it always comes back to your childhood, that when you have a bad moment as a young person, there's a particular unconscious choice that is made, and that bad moment is locked in a place that's harder to reach or reason with. Then, that bad moment holds your ability to handle similar bad moments in your future and treat those bad moments as individual. The new bad moment will go and join the original bad moment and kind of make a bad moment pile. When I talked to Jason, the therapist in the last session, he implied that I'd suffered abuse from a parent figure in my life. I hope I got that right. That's why an important awakening moment as a youngster, like finding out that there are bad people in the world, instead of being able to handle that moment, I shot that moment straight to my pile. It was an overwhelming feeling instead of somebody else's Tuesday, as Laurel said, the therapist in session two. Because maybe I was already very sensitive because of some trauma or other that happened before that. But I soldiered on and kept making the same mistake over and over, as Mia said, the therapist in session one, because I haven't been asking the right questions. I know that my mum and dad were good people and didn't knowingly harm me, no physical abuse there. But I did grow up in absolute chaos, loads of people coming in and out of our lives. My childhood was amazing, brilliant and awful, all at the same time. So let me think. I used to have a recurring nightmare as a child. It would happen fairly regularly. I'd feel like I was entering a whole new place in my brain. The blackness behind my eyes would turn a different color. It would only go this color for this particular dream, and I'd consciously think, oh no, I don't want to go there. It was a really bad feeling. In the dream, I'd always walk away from my house and walk to Gwendolyn Avenue, about two roads over, where there were some flats. This is where it gets foggy. I think I remember that's where a friend of my mother's lived. But that's it. I had this nightmare over and over when I was small. And just writing this, my eyes are starting to water. And I have no idea why. What happened? Did anything happen? Is it a metaphorical dream? Does it matter? Again, I don't know. The other dream I have is when I was about 16. It starts with me standing in a tall white house. I need to get out. I turn and start running down the hallway and looking into empty rooms as I go, trying to find an exit. 
Eventually I find the door and I'm outside the house, but there's black barbed wire surrounding it, about two feet away from the wall. I run around and around the house, trying to find an opening. Eventually I do, and then I'm running down a dirt road. Everything is dusty and faded. As I'm running, I hear a telephone ringing. I keep running, but someone shouts, Tammy, it's for you. I shout back, who is it? And the other person says, it's you. So I turn and I start running towards the phone, which is in the middle of a field. It's an American style phone booth, glass. I pick up the receiver. Hello? Please, I'm still inside the house. You have to come and find me. Oh, okay, hold on. I'm coming to get you, I say. Then I start running back towards the house. I'm really scared now, but determined. I get through the barbed wire and I'm running around the house until I eventually find the door and I run in. Then I'm running from room to room, slamming open doors, looking into empty rooms until I finally get to the last door. I push the door open with force. The room in front of me is white and full of light. It's set up like a chapel with pews in lines and a huge cross on the back wall. In the front row is me standing looking at the cross. I clearly see the back of my head and then it slowly starts to turn. I start to turn, to look back at myself to turn around and face myself and then I wake up. Yeah, I spent many moments trying to really understand that dream. I can remember every detail and it's been 35 years since I had it. So both of these dreams are significant, I think, because I can still remember them clearly. And this is the first time I've written them out. I also would like to add that there was a lot of religion in my family growing up. My great aunt was a nun, my great uncle was a deacon, but I've never considered myself religious, so <laughs> yeah, it's weird. The nightmare. The nightmare. Is it possible that I have a memory that I've suppressed, like in a movie? You know, like when the expert will say, she may not even be aware that she once had a twin sister. Can you imagine finding out about a whole other existence that you've had? How great. Or I can't help my mind wandering to the possibility of a past life. But that's maybe a whole other can of worms. One thing that I know for sure is that my ability to believe anything that people say is alarmingly huge. That's why I don't go and see psychics. Because if a psychic told me I was going to hit my head on Tuesday, I'd get up and just hit my head on the wall. I so want to believe that there's a path for me that's laid out, that I just have to follow it. That's all I have to do. That's all. Please, just tell me what to do. I think that would be my comfort zone. That's what I want. My womb. So that adult rational mind thing. Um, if I visualize my adult rational mind, it looks like a very small dachshund puppy with big watery eyes and it's kind of malnourished. Okay, that was fun. Let's do more. What else can I visualize? My creative self looks like a warrior with a sword and knives and he's smiling. Yes, he. That's weird. When I visualize my love self, I see a heart being pounded into the pavement and the puppy's watching. 
And when I visualize my child self, I see the front of that Tears for Fears album cover, The Hurting. Oh, that's sad. When I visualize my mother's self, I see my son's big happy smile, the absolute clear contact he has in his eyes. And I feel myself smile. So that's good. I remember saying to my mum, oh God, I was such a miserable child. And she said, no, you weren't. You were always laughing and smiling. That was a good moment for me. Maybe it was my inner voice I was hearing, not what others were seeing. Outwardly, we all seem fine, but inside we're all a seething pile of unrequited moments. Anyway, enough. Enough about me. But you see, this is what the therapy is doing, actually making me try and get in there. Try and find all this, like, what is going on? I had a lot more, a lot more that I'd written that I was going to rant on, but I think I'm going to leave it here. I'm going to send this to the fourth therapist and see what she thinks. So... It was a windy, dark, full day when we met. My name is Ann Schnur and I'm a registered psychotherapist. Um, and I work with a um, combination of psychotherapy and emotional body work because I feel that we're body informed first and then we work to make sense of what that sensation is. Okay, so body informed. Mm -hmm. Explain to me what that means. So, um, Stanley Kellerman, uh, who's out, who has passed, but is out of uh, was out of California, did a whole thing about how we pulse with the world, even in utero, and and that we're developing our body of expression even at that stage. Okay. As we're we're growing into the baby that we become, and so we're always. Um, pulsing with our environment and um, as was stated in one of the other podcasts about um, different traumas or experiences we can have you know what is trauma to one is not trauma to the other um, and so how do we embody experience and we embody experience from the experiences we've had uh, so it's kind of a building thing, and, and the, the challenge is, is that we often come to new experiences um, making sense of them through what we know from before. Right. Um, and so our reptilian brain is always kind of looking at, you know, well, what is this situation, and how is it familiar, and how am I supposed to be, and ultimately, how do I survive? Yeah, but we humans don't necessarily take it on that level anymore. So yeah. we've talked about this before in the last podcast. It's the the pile. It's like you have that one particular moment you make a decision to handle things a certain way and you'll be handling everything the same way in your life um, unless you understand that particular moment where you may not have handled it the right way because you were too little too young um, and moving from reaction to response allows for change of the dynamic 
Right. Because just as we're sitting here or as we enter that situation in which we may feel mm, uh, uh, tense or anxious, we send off a whole lot of um, hormones that we're not even aware we're picking up. Okay. Okay? Mm-hmm. And the other person senses them. Now, this is all very unconscious and very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but you walk in, you can walk into a room and you kind of pick up, you kind of assess who, you know, what people are kind of like. Yeah. Right? Quickly. Um, and so if we've started to have difficulty, we may come back to that relationship expecting difficulty. Okay. And so we're moving then in more of a uh, protective sense of ourselves um, and looking maybe to manage out there. Like, how do, I, how do I deal with them to make me secure? Yeah, instead of... Instead of make me secure yeah. and they'll relax. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah. I'm pretty much come to the conclusion that's exactly what I do. Mm. You, um, when you say exactly <laughs> what you do, which one do you do? Well, <laughs> I think I do that. I mean, just to talk about that last sentence, mm. I do sort of look at people and go, why are you making me feel insecure? Mm. Right. You know, why is this relationship not working? And I look at them and I don't look at why am I not feeling secure? Like, what is it? You know, it's, it's my insecurity. It's not there. Right, them. right. Right. And so if we can come back, and so that this is really what I work with a lot, is catching that in the moment because fight and flight is so quick. Okay, yeah. Right? And there's subtle difference between anxiety and excitement. Okay. It's a fine line. Right. Right? Mm. Um, so... I work with broad strokes. Um, so broad strokes being like um, anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. and anger are mm-hmm. the broad strokes. And so I, I often say to clients, um, so um, we all have an imaginary um, umbrella on our arms. And we could be walking around having a pretty good day and then bang, we have a, a interaction with someone and we're in a state. Yeah. And that's when our invisible umbrella goes up. Okay. And the sheath of the umbrella is the usually the anxiety, depression, or anger. And it shields a lot of the triggers coming in. What holds up the umbrella are the more tender and vulnerable feelings okay. that we're feeling. So if we can move from the reactionary state into, oh, I'm feeling um, uh, insecure, I'm feeling a bit frightened, Um, I'm feeling less than, Um, I'm feeling worried. And we start to work work with I feel, which isn't projection, right? It's not you, it's me. Yeah. Um, Then we can start the internal dialogue of changing that. So then the question is, so how can I make myself feel more secure in this situation? Yeah. And we're talking about, not right now it feels like a long period of time, but you know, a three-second pause once you've got mm-hmm. this down 
And when we change our body language, then that which seems onerous to us is, is less so. Yeah. Yeah. So Tension. Moving too fast. Blaming others. Mm. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what I do. So um, yeah, I, I obviously need to work on that. So tell me about dreams and what led you to... A lot of people sort of discount dreams. They'll say, that, oh, well, your brain's just making chemicals or what have you. How, how did you start along this road of, of dream therapy? Um, so it was part of my training. Um, and it really, you know, Jung and Freud believed in dreams from different aspects or perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Freud wanted to make um, psychoanalysis a science, you know, psychotherapy a science, and, and Jung was much more of an art form. Um, and so from that you can get different interpretations. But they both felt that it was the royal road to the unconscious. Right. Right? To um, that which we do not really... We know, but we perhaps discard or, or do not look at. Right. Um, and so that's what got me into it. Right. You know? and, and I found dreams fascinating. So are most of your clients, people who talk to you about their dreams? Um, so when I begin to see a client, I ask them to put a pen and paper by the side of their bed yeah. and ask for dreams. Okay. Because just in making the step forward to say, you know, I want to change my life. I want to I wanna have something different in my life, something better that's enriching to me. You're, you're opening yourself up. And your unconscious will say, oh, oh, there's opportunity here. And, and pro often provide a dream. Oh, so people have gonna, more dreams when they start to... Well, they can and they <laughs> may or they may not. <laughs> okay. It's, it's really up to the individual. Some people don't dream at all and that's okay. Yeah. Some people are prolific and there's the range in between. But you can ask for dreams. I've asked for dreams and, and they've come, but I've got years of experience <laughs> Working with them. I found when I left England mm -hmm. and moved to Canada, it was like crossing the water or something, but I started to dream a lot. Or maybe I was more relaxed because I was away from my family. So, and that's true as well. That's why um, many therapists often offer retreats and things to get you away from the familiar. Yeah. You can only do so much work or be... Um, open to a certain amount when you, you know, we used to do um, uh, retreats to Jamaica and, and that was huge because like just like you crossing the Atlantic, right? Yeah. Um, you were in a whole different co uh, country and so all, everything is new and you're reacting to things because you're that which is familiar is no longer there. Yeah, and if your life's traumatic in any way or thing, its distance allows you to appreciate what may be the thing that is bogging you down, perhaps? Yes, yeah, it usually brings you right into your personal dynamic. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, um, 
so let me just ask you some general questions. So what what is the the significance of a recurring dream to you? Um, well, it could have several things um, for why it's recurring. One, it could be um, um, unresolved material, mm-hmm. okay, that, that keeps coming up wanting to be heard. Um, but it could also be triggered by um, what's going on in the person's life at that time. Oh. Right? Right. So you might have that dream, you know, four times in your lifespan, perhaps, and it would be interesting to know what was happening, because that's very important to know. Right. Um, and dreams pull on myth and fairy tale and symbolism a lot. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so those would be the, you know, it, is it unresolved material? Probably, yeah. and is it resurfacing again in a different situation, life experience? Yeah, and so you're getting the, the same similar dream up again. Yeah, it really is working with the the client to find out how they resonate with their dream. Yeah, because oh, I see. Right? Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so. different but both happened a long time ago Mm -hmm. the first recurring dream which is very short Mm -hmm. was um, more like a feeling almost that I would get when I was sleeping I suppose more like a nightmare than a dream where I would get absolutely I'd feel everything change and the blackness would look different I'd almost Mm -hmm. get a taste in my mouth and I go no I don't want to have this dream Mm. right so in the beginning, you say that there's this blackness and this kind of taste, right? Yeah. Um, so where are you in the dream at that? Like, is that just as you're going to sleep? Just as I'm... So I'll be in, I guess, still semi-conscious. Mm-hmm. Or this is my part of my dream, maybe. But I feel like I go, okay... I'm falling into sleep. Oh no, I'm taking that road. Like I'm, that's the one I'm going down. Right. And no, I don't want to go down that one. Can I? You know that Hold feeling back. of like I want. I don't want to. But I kind of bracing myself because mm-hmm. I know. As soon as it starts, I'm like, oh no, that that one. Right. And so you leave. Am I correct? You leave your house. Yeah. And you begin down this kind of hill and. Yeah, it's just basically a road, it's in London, Mm -hmm. two roads, and I did ask, I don't know if this is significant, but my mum's got Alzheimer's, so she has good and bad days, but I asked her if anyone we knew lived on that road, Right. and she said our cleaning lady did. So someone did. Somebody did. And I don't know, I didn't ask if I ever had to go to the house, like if she ever babysat me or anything. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, but... um, so that was one of the questions I had. I thought, oh, so what was your mother's relationship to this woman, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, because I did say I, I feel like there was a woman, someone lived there who we knew. Yes. So do you think, so my question is, do I dig? Do I try and find out more about this? Is it to do with the flats, like who lived there? Or is it a fear I have of growing up, of leaving home? Or... So um, Young would, one interpretation of, of the dreams is, is to say that, you know, every aspect of the dream is part of ourselves. Yeah. Right? And so we draw on characters that have meaning for us in them. Okay. You know? So you're leaving home and you're going to a flat. Now it's interesting because I didn't really understand flat. <laughs> okay, right. Um, as an apartment building. But in both dreams you have tall buildings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. With many rooms. Mm-hmm. And um, which can be uh, learning about ourselves or discovering something, uh, becoming aware, um, and and so you have a bit of a, a journey. So you're leaving one area and you're going to another, and so knowing what kind of relationship that is with your mother is would be kind of important to know um, how you felt as a child around this woman because it sounded like a friendship in the piece like with your mother and this woman. Yeah, so I don't know what the relationship was like for my mother and, you know, my mum was very friendly and opened her doors to people, like there was often people sitting at our table and, you know, we'd look after people's kids when they went away and there was often people sleeping on our sofa and stuff, so right. more than likely she had a relationship with this woman. Mm -hmm. uh, she mem remembered that she in instantly that she lived there. So right. maybe, I, do you think I should probe more and ask more questions? Um, from your mother? Yeah. Um, if that's what you feel that you would like to do, yes. Yeah. You know? Um, it was, that one was more of a snippet to me. Yeah, it is, yeah. And, um... But it's interesting that you leave a house and you go on to a path, and both dreams have that. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yeah. Um, that you have a visceral feeling and disdain for this. That's the thing that puzzles you know? me about that dream, is the absolute reoccurring fear. Right. So, you know, the other thing that's important is to know, you know, what what was happening in your life around those times when you had those dreams. How how often did you have the dream? Yeah. Um because again, it the the unconscious pulls on um what's happening in our life present day. Yeah. And it would be so so long ago that it kind of hard to yeah so I think we we can all point fingers as our childhoods having a lot of things that were good and bad about them but the overall feeling that I had was just an sort of an absence that I felt or that I felt was coming from my parents Everyone, you know what I mean right so I don't think there was anyone really um yeah but everyone has you know their so I have been I have been looking at and giving it its importance is the fact that my mother and my me had didn't have a strong bond and then mm -hmm. my mum became an alcoholic mm -hmm. a bad alcoholic for most of my formative years mm -hmm. so it wasn't really a strong mothering figure in my life because she was an addict right um, 
so I am coming to to understand that probably had a large impact on my upbringing. Right, and may have um, predisposed you to some um, codependent issues. In yeah, how you how you had the relationship or what relationship you had with her. Yeah. So when you say codependent issues, you mean in my relationships? Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I've made a lot of mistakes because I've always felt this huge need to be looked after. Mm. Right. So so you're always looking in a way from just from that statement I would say that you're looking for mum. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. You know. So I look for that in men I think. Mm -hmm. I sort of because I find it I, I'm I you know I want. I just want someone to come along and scoop me up and well, hold you, me in their arms. You say that in your piece. <laughs> you say, you know, there, there's a path. Just like have somebody tell me what to do, and I'll just do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the last, the long relationship I had was with quite a strong man who sort of was that. He just was like, I'll tell you what to do, and 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 so I settled quite comfortably. But there was a whole load of me that was, was fighting it because I know that it's not good for me mm. to be the passenger, right? I know I should be my own person. and So then I have that internal war. Yes. Because I'm not being the strong self I, I know I am. Mm -hmm. So then I'm fighting with my inner voice the whole time. Right. And then how do you... And, so, and that's the art of therapy, right? Is, is working with relationships that... you. To have that type of relationship and then to be able to come into a, um, a, a more balanced way of being. Yeah. You know, where you could have more expression and more whatever, you know, where you weren't just kind of uh, along for the ride, as it were. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that um, your partner could also, would also have to, because in a way he's along for the ride. Yeah. Because it's easy for him. Yes. Right? Yeah, because I'm a pretty good passenger. Mm. And so he's the, a pretty good controller. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of it works, on, but it doesn't work at all. It's not a good, it's not good for him or me, right? Right. Because you don't get close. Exactly. And yeah. so in getting close, you start to work more with the vulnerabilities of it all. Yeah. Right? And, uh, and that's the, uh, the challenging part of marriage therapy. <laughs> yeah. I should think a challenging getting close that's that's what I that's what I need to do that's what I'm hankering for is getting close to someone getting close and realizing that this whole time I may never have really experienced that well it's kind of really sad but really exciting all at the same time I let that go on because I thought it was so important because where that whole little segment ends is yeah, you have to go. You have to talk to get there. Let's get back to my dream because okay. you're a dream therapist. So right. um, tell me about what you think about that, the dream with the house and the running and the barbed wire around it. And So I was, I was taken by the tall white building mm. with many rooms. So what kind of buildings have many rooms in them? Well, to me, a castle has many rooms. Okay. Right? Right. 
Um, it's interesting that it's white. Mm -hmm. I think the age of 16 is important. Um, and that there's barbed wire around yeah. it. And so I really thought about, um, I, the questions that came up into my mind were, um, 16, you're just coming in, you, you know, you're in, into your adolescence. Yeah. Um, you're a, a, a woman, you're a young woman. Um, you're trapped in this building, this tall building. Yeah. So, you know, Rapunzel came to mind. Right. Uh, Sleeping Beauty came to mind. Um, and the barbed wire being the thicket that grows up around both those castles. Okay. Or structures that... Um, and one... Um, in Rapunzel, it's the, um, the, the neighbor who gets the child and then as she get, comes into puberty, she puts her away in this castle. And, um, so, and you're, you're frantically trying to find your way out of it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't, I wasn't quite sure how that period in your life was at 16. Mm. Pretty bad. Mm. How so? Well, I didn't do well at school. Like I got the lowest exam results in the school history. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm dyslexic. Right. And I didn't care. Like I said, nobody was watching over me, so right. I just didn't go very much. Right. And then I, my father got me into art college at around that time, but I went and just blew that too, because mm -hmm. I just didn't feel... I think I was in depression already. Mm -hmm. Like I felt very... that same... in a weird way, that same feeling of the bad dream. I had it at a low counter the whole time. Mm -hmm. This just very kind of m mild hum of depression, I think. It's a lot of sadness. Yeah. yeah. And so, like, I, like we were talking about trauma, I think some people could have taken the good things in my life and not felt the bad things as much, but maybe just because I'm sensitive, mm -hmm. I felt it all a lot. Right. Like I wasn't, you know, and I, and I always, I talk about too that I'm a good actress. Like, I don't think people could see it. They're always like, oh, it's, she's so full of beans and so... Right. But I wasn't. Right. I was really upset mm -hmm. most of the time, I think. Right. Yeah. And your mother had difficulty hearing that. She was not present at all. Right. Because in the piece that you sent me, she, you, you said um, something about being an upset child or something and she oh no no you were so happy yeah. blah, blah. you know as well you're you were um, uh, uh, you put it forth as a good actress right yeah nobody can pick up on it but I, I'm not sure that she wanted to pick up on it or engage in it yeah I do I do have the feeling that my mum is sorry so very occasionally she says the odd thing and I'm like, but I don't have a good relationship with her to this day because there's too much. Right, you know. But, so this is another important part is that it's, it's no longer your mother, it's now you. 
because we tend to mother ourselves as we've been mothered. Right. So, so it's a really important vantage point to go, so how, how is my relationship with myself? And in, in, in claiming more of that, you're, you're able to let her go and, and develop a different relationship. Yes. Does that make sense yeah. to you? Yeah. Yeah, because I do, I'm pretty hard on myself. Mm. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting. Um, so I was um, interested in um, how was it, how, how did your parents, uh, how were they present to you becoming a young woman? What were the um, boundaries in the house? I was going to say rules, but we'll use boundaries, <laughs> you know? What about boys? What about sexuality? I didn't have... I was the only one of my friends who had no curfew. Mm. Like, nobody, like I said, nobody was watching over me. Right. Which made me quite responsible. I have to say, like, some of my friends were doing dreadful things, and I was like, why are you doing that? Mm -hmm. But they were bucking against their parents, it felt like. But I had no one to buck, buck against. against. My dad left when I was 15. Mm -hmm. So I was just with this, with my alcoholic mum, who wasn't right. present. Mm -hmm. So I had... Like I said, I didn't have anyone. Right. My sister was also out of control, so yeah, I don't know, I was just looking after myself. Mm -hmm. and I've always felt that I would meet Prince Charming, you see, and he would take me away and right. look after everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So, so in this dream, so there's aspects of this, I think it's, it's about coming into your womanhood in a way. Yeah. Um, and, and, but also this, how you separated from yourself somehow. Yeah. Because part of you leaves and isn't aware that you've left an aspect of yourself back there. Yeah. And when you get, when you finally get out of the, the, uh, the tall white building, which white might symbolize some, some purity. Okay. You know? And then you've got like this uh, surround of barbed wire that you have to get through, which could be quite thorny. Yeah. Right? And you get through, and then, and then it's maybe not what you expect because it's a dirt road. Yeah. It's very barren. Yeah. Um, and I think that there is that fear of what lies beyond, you know, the palace wall, if you will. <laughs> Right. You know? um, and so you start trudging along it, and then you get this call. Yeah. And and you know, Tammy, it's for you. Yeah. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> and and there's this, um, and then you say in this field. I was wondering. Well, I wonder what kind of field that is. That that the phone booth appears in. Yeah. Baron just. No crops. Just just flat? Yeah. Okay. So I wasn't quite sure because it had been... Uh, I know it was away from the road. Mm -hmm. So it was off in this... So not like an English nice field. Like right. a sort of a deserty kind of landscape more. Mm -hmm. And so... and But you're very 
clear that it's an American phone booth yeah. with glass. You yeah. know? So all these aspects are really important. And um, I thought, and I'm not positive about this, but I, I could see, is that where you thought, oh, maybe this is, you know, going, uh, coming over to Canada? Mm. Um, I, and I could see that. I could also, I also thought, oh, um, when does one go into a phone booth, you know? Uh, well, we've, we, it's one way of connection, um, but often phone booths are used for um, uh, transporting, you know, like in movies, you can transport out of something or you can, okay. you can change. Um, okay. You know, Superman, oh, interesting. Clark Kent goes in, yeah. changes into Superman, right? Right. And somewhere in all of that, you answer the call to yourself to, to go, to, to make the journey back. Mm -hmm. To go back into um, the tall white house. Like you have to get through the bramble, you, um, uh, and you have to go into this house with many, many rooms that, so um, you're looking for a way out initially. Um, but I'm not sure if you're aware if there's anything in those rooms on your way out or coming back in. No, I'm looking into the rooms and they're empty. Empty. And I'm looking for me. Right. And then you, you come to this one that has a big heavy door on it. Yeah. Right? Which were the other doors that you had to open heavy? I don't... I don't... Uh... I guess the last door felt significant, more significant. Because mm. the other ones I was just throwing open and this one I seemed to open slower. Oh, okay. Bit, bit misty though, that okay. kind of detail. Right. I just remember that, I do remember that just opening it and the being very aware that this was a very different room. Mm-hmm, with a huge cross yeah. in it. And so I was, so it made me think, well, um, was there religious um, um, religious conditioning or whatever around um, sexuality? Because it's so big, right? That's what I thought of when I heard it. I thought it's a huge cross, and she's somewhat transfixed. Yeah. To the cross. Yeah. Well, so you're coming. So you seem to be coming back to the to the sexual. Because mm -hmm. I'm. Is that because of the age? Uh, partly about the age, partly the building, partly you know looking at the um, the surround of the um, the dream itself. Mm. I wonder. I so I I lost my virginity when I was seventeen, mm -hmm. and I didn't want to. Mm. Like and it wasn't. I, I was with my boyfriend, and it wasn't. There was nothing bad about it. I just right. felt such pressure because all my friends were having sex, sex. and I was like, "Oh, I better do it." Right. But I really didn't want to. I wanted to have the fairy tale that you re, you know that my whole life I'd had this fairy tale put in front of me of the, mm. this being swept away. Right. And I wanted to be swept, swept away. away. And but like this happened in his bedroom, and yeah. it was just not romantic. It was just kind of awkward and didn't feel great. Mm -hmm. It wasn't right. anything that it was meant to be. 
a letdown, let's just say it how it is. Like and, and I felt I didn't feel good after. Like I just was like, oh <laughs> you know, and I think a lot of women sex is not good for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, when you first have it you're like, right. What is all that about then? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um I don't know if that mm. You know, and I think I had the dream when I was 16. I'm not sure if it happened, uh, you know, when I was 17. I think it was around that period of my life. Like, I didn't, right. you know, so maybe... But it's kind of that breaking away of... Um, I mean, in my age, in my time, it was, you know, you, you don't have sex until you get married. Yeah, I think, you know? I, I, think I felt like that. And so... Um, to break away from that and to make a decision on our own, we kind of have to leave our house in a way. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So that is a, that, right. I know this is getting heavy and it's kind of going, it's a long podcast, but I feel like this is very interesting that, you know, when I lost my virginity, I kind of let myself down because I didn't want to so I separated and that's what she's saying in a way so the dream of being two people is important and I I feel like in culture today there's such a pressure to be very relaxed about sex and sex is really important so um I think that we need to acknowledge that and not just put so much pressure on ourselves to be free what does freedom mean in sex? Means that you you allow it to not be an important thing. Ah, anyway. And and there's still this this young part of us that's yeah. back there going. It, at least in this dream, you know, you're called. There's been some way in which, and and maybe this is what you speak about. Um, is uh, feeling the pressure to do something, yeah, but not really wanting to. So there's a split there. Yeah, I, as you're saying it, I'm thinking a lot of times in my life. I just put my, I just gun it. I put my almost like I put my brain outside the door and I just get get the job done. I think it I might think you be. put your heart outside. Okay the right. door and you operate from your brain okay right yeah and and so so there's there's this there's aspects of this um in the dream where there's a separation but you're called back to th that you've you've left the small child in a way yeah right yeah which kind of relates to um what I had said earlier about um, the relationship with your mother in that how you parent yourself now because we're always parenting ourselves yeah. right yeah. and that it's it's the it's a small child who is insecure it's not necessarily our adult self yeah and it's and it's those old um, fears and anxieties that can get whipped up quickly and we often deal with them as they've been dealt with and so to approach it with a tender heart and say 
oh, as if it was another child, right? Like, yeah, your son, you know, so, so what's wrong? How can I help? Yeah. Right? Often we've not been received in that way. Yeah. Not all the times, you know, parents have come in at different times, but for, for some reason, it's, it's where that hasn't been met. So a large part of me is looking inside of myself and realizing that your childhood and your, your teenage years are very, very important. And we have to really, really try with our teenagers, our children, to make sure that they're okay, you know? Well, that's great. I mean, I could go on and on telling you about my dreams, but I think that's probably good. That's okay. really good. Um, and I think we've gotten closer with this conversation. You know, I, I think I'm getting closer to understanding the importance of my upbringing, which I used to just think, I used to say this a lot to people. I go, well, I had it really tough, but I'm fine. You know, I think a lot of us do that. Because we're, we're not, I'm not an alcoholic and I'm not an abusive mother and I'm not, I'm fine. But it's like, no, it's probably a lot, you know, I could be a lot finer, let's put it that yes, way. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, and we all could. Yeah. We all could. Yeah. 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 So it's a good, it's interesting to work on it. But um, thank you very much. You're very welcome. It was an excellent series. I really enjoyed listening to the other podcasts.
with therapy. If you'd like to support my podcast, um, the best way is to go to iTunes and download one of my albums. Um, please tell your friends about this podcast um, and go to my website, tamarawilliamson.ca and join the mailing list. Thanks again. Bye.